Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining us today is Marco Altini, the founder of HRV for Training, an app and really a fairly in-depth platform for measuring and monitoring HRV, which stands for heart rate variability. So before we launch into the uh, the nerdy guts of the question that Andrew and I love so much. I'm going to, first of all, oh, we'll first, get there. <laughs> we will get there. First, I'm going to welcome Marco to the show. Thank you very much for uh, spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And then I'm going to ask him as the, uh, the expert in the virtual room to tell us what heart rate variability is and roughly why we care to measure it. Yeah. So heart rate variability refers to um, a way to analyze the difference in consecutive heartbeats. And we care about that because this is a way um, to capture the activity of the autonomic nervous system. So in particular, the autonomic nervous system has two branches, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And these two branches are continuously working to maintain a state of balance, which is called homeostasis, and it's necessary, let's say, to uh, perform optimally, physically. So the branch that is of interest, in particular, when we talk about heart rate variability, is the parasympathetic one, which is the one associated to rest recovery functions. So uh, the parasympathetic system innervates the heart through its main nerve, and basically changes the um, rhythm of the heart, so what we call heart rate variability, in response to the stressors we face. So long story short, when we measure heart rate variability, we get insights into these mechanisms of the parasympathetic nervous system in response to stressors. And this helps us then to understand how each individual uh, response to various stressors and uh, when the body is more or less stressed. So if we go to the trouble of measuring heart rate variability, what does it tell us about the state of the, the parasympathetic uh, branch of the autonomic nervous system? So basically, um, the interesting bit here is that uh, we respond to stressors regardless of where they come from. Uh, so training or anything else like work-related stress. Okay. Uh, in the same way, so for the body, it does not really matter where the stressor comes from, and then you can capture it that way. And that's relevant because, you know, there is only so much stress uh, you can handle, and then there is always the risk to end up in a situation of chronic stress, which is uh, obviously detrimental to both uh, performance, but just also just health. Um, and therefore, by measuring heart rate variability, and in particular, looking at how things change over time with respect to our own historical data, uh, we can figure out periods in which we are more stressed and then uh, implement changes, for example, you know, try to give priority to recovery measures in these situations. So my coach has often mentioned to me that uh, it doesn't really matter what the source of stress is, but it has a very similar impact on you. So whether it's work stress or stress at home or training stress, it, it all impacts you in the same way. So that's kind of what I'm hearing from you as well. Yeah, exactly. That I would say that that's uh, also what you can, you know, capture with this uh, with this matrix. Which I think, you know, some people say that that is um, a sort of a shortcoming of the measurement. It's like when you look at heart rate during exercise, and you would think, huh, but it's influenced by temperature and humidity and all of those factors. But that's exactly why it is useful, in my view, right? Because still, it affects uh, your ability to perform a certain workout or to handle additional stress. So it's a sort of an overall market that allows you to capture um, how you're responding to the various stressors that affect your life. As I do not think you can consider an athlete or a person in general as you know some isolated system which responds to only training input, but there is always a variety of factors that have an effect. 
I think those people are just the professional athletes who have no other outside sources of stress. They they can focus on it. But I think most people who are listening are probably they they've got multiple sources that they have to worry about, whether it's a new baby or something like that, or a big project at work. So that's uh, that's a really good explanation. And before we get all the hate mail from professional athletes about how <laughs> <laughs> telling them that they have no sources of stress other than training, <laughs> oh, it's, it's an easy life for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, obviously. <laughs> what I really love about it is that in the endurance training and coaching world, we're we're always trying to capture, we're always trying to capture and measure quantifiable elements of our of our training, and and uh, with devices like heart rate monitors and power meters and and accurate GPS watches, I think the industry has come a long way in being good at measuring training stress. Um, You look, we can argue the utility of the kind of the common metrics like TSS, you know, the the peaks where uh, training stress score, whether or not how accurate that is, we can debate that all day long. Um, But it is yeah, some kind of quantitative metric. But before heart rate variability, I was unaware of any kind of quantitative means for assessing non-training stress. And that's what I think the promise of the technology and the, uh, you know, the the approach for that, that HRV offers, that's, that's what's really exciting for me. Now, of course, just like all things, it's not sometimes as straightforward as it, uh, as it sounds. So I think this is a good spot to start uh, peppering Marco with questions that Andrew and I prepared about what are some of the things that uh, influence heart rate variability and where a little bit of thought and context is is really important? Yeah, exactly. So I think, well, first of all, I certainly agree with you on, um, you know, the, all the progress that is being made in quantifying training. Um, and I think that's also uh, where HRV comes in, not only as a way to capture stress in general, but maybe we'll cover that a bit later more. Um, just in the context of, you know, how you respond to training and how you are are adapting to the stimulus, right? Because you can quantify your workout in terms of TSS, for example, and see, um, you know, and and use that as as a way to quantify chronic training load and acute training load and, you know, all your progress. But at the same time, using that information, you do not really see how, you are responding to a certain stimulus to the training load. Uh, and that's where, you know, these methods come in because to the same load, you could respond, you know, positively or negatively, depending on different situations or, you know, when you have new stimulus, then it could be more challenging to the body and still have the same TSS to your point, which, you know, uh, these metrics are useful, but also have some limitations. And then it's, I think it's a good way uh, to use HRV is just to use it as a way to capture these responses. Um, and coming back to your question, I think since we basically measure the activity of the autonomic nervous system, uh, pretty much anything affects it. So <laughs> yeah. certainly sleep quality is a, you know, a good starting point. Um, alcohol for sure, um, work stress, uh, travel. And I think, you know, it's uh, difficult to pinpoint different um parameters which have a stronger or, or weaker impact also because it's very individual. And I would say that even at the individual level, it can change. For example, if you think about travel, you know, you could have a trip that is stressful and, you know, you have meetings all day and you don't have any time for yourself or to rest. Or you could have, you know, um, a trip that is actually the exact opposite that you take just to, you know, rest and, uh, and take some time for yourself. So if you look at it uh, from, you know, an external uh, point of view, you do not maybe see differences because it's just someone doing a trip. But then if you actually know the context and everything that has been happening, then you can interpret this data better. That's why, you know, most of the work we do is really uh, trying to help people to make sense of their own data more than to try to find some generalizable principle that apply to everyone, because I think it's very uh, person specific. I think it's a fantastic point. Um, the, the part I like about it is how you're not focusing so much on this is the value of heart rate variability, but looking at the long-term trends. Um, just like power, if you take uh, someone like, let's say, Chris Froome, for example, and he does a workout that he averages 200 watts, um, that's not going to be much for him. But you take someone who, you know, their first their first time on the bike and they average 200 watts for a workout, that's going to be a pretty hard workout for them. So 
it's it's all the context of the longer term trends that you're seeing and even learning about your own body so what what impacts you maybe you don't have the same response to travel as other people do um so you can kind of cater your own training load around that that knowledge and you learn yourself better and you learn how to just keep yourself in better health, I guess. So I think it's fantastic the way you've wrapped it all up into a full platform for data analysis rather than just, here's the measurement, off you go. Yeah, and I want to throw my own two cents into this uh, into this individuality conversation. And to, to Marco's point, it is incredibly individual because we all, as he said, I think quite correctly, we all respond to different stressors differently. Um, you know, you take someone who's been training continuously for years and you give them even a, even a for them very hard workout, they'll be able to tolerate that training stress much better than somebody who's just getting off the couch and even going for a brisk walk sometimes. So um, in that sense, it's individual. And I totally agree with that with Marco that your um, your tolerance for stress changes over time. First of all, you know, there's the saturation of stress phenomenon when you just get, have so much of it that that anything is is anything more is too much. But also, um, in the absence of that overloaded condition, I think our bodies are phenomenally adaptable. And, uh, um, you know, something that would have been stressful, at least from a, you know, a training stress perspective, uh, when you first started a block of training is much less stressful, in, you know, in the middle or towards the end of that block, if everything else is going correctly. For, um, you know, my own athletes, something that I find quite a bit is when we start, let's say, a, a very intense block of training, let's say if we're focusing on power at VO2 max development or something like that, the first few workouts are brutally hard. The The RPE is very high. And then physiologically, nothing much happens in a week or two of that style of training, but the tolerance for that kind of training improves dramatically. And I think it's all about the fact that our bodies become better able to cope with uh, the stress of that specific stimulus. And using our own lives is kind of a parallel here, Michael. Um, I would say that uh, if I were to spend a day in your shoes with uh, two young kids, I would be pulling out whatever <laughs> hair I have left. But uh, <laughs> for you, it's just it's just another day and you still manage to get the training in. So it's it, you, your body adapts, your your mentality adapts, and it's just amazing what your bodies can do. Yeah, I completely agree. Indeed, it's really about, you know, how novel is the stressor and, you know, what's your capacity and how you've adapted to that kind of stressor. And, you know, as you uh, progress, of course, you improve. And uh, this is also reflected in, you know, how your physiology changes. So when we're looking at some of these trends, um, what's the kind of period of change that we expect to see? Like obviously day to day is when we take the measurements typically, but would you expect to see a longer term change over the course of a week or several weeks or a month? Um, what what kind of in time interval do you typically focus on? So um, I would like to say um, two aspects uh, I think are, are relevant here. Uh, as, as you mentioned, indeed, there is the day-to-day, -day, so the acute response. That's how we call it, basically, what happens, you know, after just a strong stressor, which is something that affects you normally in the 24 to 48 hours, um, very hard workout, travel again, or... Um, getting sick, anything, you know, that uh, has a strong effect and disrupts your physiology. Um, and again, this, if you're a novice athlete, this uh, event training will have a larger impact from this point of view. And then on the long-term uh, trends uh, side of things, I would say this is normally what is more interesting, even though, of course, it takes more time uh, to get to see these trends just because you need to collect data more consistently for periods uh, of a few weeks. I would say anything that is uh, um, a change in, in a period of 7, 14 days is already what we consider at least a medium to long term uh, response to uh, whatever is going on, for example, a different training block. Um, and, and that's I think when things get interesting because um, you stop, you know, just looking at the day-to-day -day changes, uh, which in general should not, um, you know, be very different. Uh, the data should be rather similar across different days when you're coping well with training. So then you start to look more at the big picture and longer term trends and see uh, if you are indeed uh, responding positively to um, the, the training plan, for example, in the context of an athlete. Interesting. So then uh, just to backtrack a little bit for folks who are not familiar with uh, 
measuring HRV. Without talking too much about the the HRV for training app and system specifically, which we'll get to, as I mentioned, at the end of the show, uh, let's talk about just some basic guidelines for measurement, because I think it's important for folks who've never used it to understand, you know, how it basically works, and then to, to have an appreciation for this conversation about uh, uh, acute and chronic uh, responses. Yeah, exactly. So you would start, you know, taking your measurement. Uh, I think there are various ways you can do that. Uh, these days, typically two are uh, very effective and reliable in capturing what we want to capture, which is uh, this baseline physiological stress. So either you measure first thing in the morning, uh, which normally you do with an app uh, like ours or others that do the same, or you can measure in the night. Uh, for example, using the Aura Ring, which is a device that measures uh, as you sleep. So both methods uh, are valid to measure uh, physiological stress and HRV. And that's your starting point. So you measure uh, one day and that's uh, you know your, your first data point. And you keep doing that every day so that you build, um, let's say, um, a series of historical values, which are then used to compare each day your new score with what is uh, considered normal for you. So that's what we do in the app. We establish what is you know your normal variation in physiology because there are always changes uh, one day to the other, and you know a score could be a bit higher or a bit lower. It does not mean anything necessarily. It could be simply a normal variation. Uh, so the app or the system needs to establish. Well, it's a variation which is significant. So, for example, when your HRV is significantly suppressed, your, your score is quite a bit lower than your normal, and that means uh, quite clearly that there is more stress on the body, and uh, you know, again, recovery should be given priority. That's a bit how it starts, and how you can you know look at acute responses. So, on a day-to-day basis, is my score um, a lot lower than my normal? Or in the long-term trends, uh, normally we look at seven days moving averages, uh, what we call baseline, and then we look at how that is trending also with respect to your historical data. So if you have you know, a stable baseline or if it is decreasing or increasing, and that is put in the context of your training load uh, and other parameters to determine, for example, how you're coping with training. Great. I think that sheds a lot of light on uh, on the way the process works. And so then my follow-up question would be, um, so here you are, you're a user, you're an endurance athlete, you're very diligent about taking your daily uh, measurements, whichever, they, whichever way you do it, in the morning or overnight, and uh, you have uh, amassed, let's say, you know, 60, 90 days worth of historical data where you're fairly consistent. Um, and so then you have two pieces of information, as you mentioned. There's an acute um, acute measurement. So, you know, this is your this is the result from your measurement today. And then there's the chronic one, as you say, over the over the seven days. So then with that data being <laughs> spat out at you, what are the decisions that then you are able to make as an athlete? Um, and there are two parts to this question, obviously. The first part being seeing your acute measurements or your daily measurement and your daily advice, as well as your your chronic measurement. So let's start with the acute. What sort of things can you see in the acute measurement and what? how does that change your training and perhaps your non-training life? So I would say that in general, um, both linked to the fact that there is limited capacity for stress uh, from all sources. So, you know, it would just be... This is for a low reading, right? If, yeah. you're, if your acute reading is low, you mean? Yeah, exactly. So, but in general, you know, there is only so much stress you can take. Uh, so, again, if, you're, if your reading is low, which means parasympathetic activity is suppressed, which means there is much stress, then, you know, just common sense tells us that we should slow down. And that's exactly how we interpret um, this situation, I think, uh, intensity here is really the issue. It's a strong stressor more than, um, you know, volume or, uh, you know, training per se, again, depending on what's, what's the background of the athlete, right? It's an athlete that, uh, is training daily, uh, you know, a low score does not mean that you need to rest. Uh, everything is always relative, but, right. uh, I think it, at that point, it's a good idea to, um, reduce the intensity and this is backed by some uh, recent studies both in uh, runners and cyclists uh, which use HRV guided training which means basically they would have two groups 
you have one group that is uh, following regular periodization, and then you have one group that is also following the same periodization, but they implement some changes uh, depending on their HRV scores. So in these uh, studies, they would use what we called uh, the longer term trend. So not just the daily score, if you have a lower score on a day, they would not necessarily postpone the intense session. What they would do, they would wait that the baseline goes below what is normal for you. Uh, this basically is the same principle, but with the difference that uh, you need to accumulate a bit more stress before you implement a change, basically, right? Because your baseline is just your uh, seven days moving average. So for that to go down, you need a couple of bad days instead of just one bad day. Uh, which I think in general is, uh, you know, uh, it makes sense. Uh, again, context is important. Sometimes, you know, you're getting sick, you have a low score because you are sick. And that obviously it makes sense to reduce intensity already. But if you have, you know, a low score uh, because, I don't know, some other stress or some other reason or just a bad night of sleep, uh, maybe you can still go and then, you know, recover uh, the following day if you know, you know, you will have the time to do that. Um, and yeah, I would say that that's more or less uh, the principle. And back to the studies. Um, so again, postponing the intense session when uh, HRV was below the normal values uh, showed that you could eventually, in the longer term, improve performance. I think there is also an important point is that you know sometimes people measure HRV. And they think that the value you should improve is your HRV, sort of something to optimize in the long term, like you would, you know, try to increase your FTP or your view to max or any other, you know, training related parameter. Um, but really HRV is about feedback and this continuous feedback loop that allows you to make adjustments so that what you improve is performance or health in general, not necessarily your HRV score. Um, and this is exactly what it was shown in these studies. So the group that uh, eventually did less intense trainings because they did not stress the body when it was already stressed uh, showed improved performance, which I think tells us something about the fact that not only you know you need a good plan, but you need also to uh, you need also timing is important. Let's say so it, when you apply the stressor matters. I think that's an excellent explanation, um, and I think the, uh, the the key takeaway, and there were a couple, but the, the one that that resonates the most with me is that your acute advice, your daily advice, is not the voice of God, right? That it's it must be taken with a little bit of context, uh, both in your you know as your own in your own athletic history, but also in you know your ability to to recover. This is just a little bit more useful information in a sea of information uh, for folks. And it's not really intended to be the absolute, this is the way it has to be kind of advice. Certainly, especially, you know, if you consider things like uh, a low score on race day, you know, people sometimes freak out, but it's like, it really does not matter. First of all, um, a low score on race day means that maybe you're just excited about the race or, you know, you're sympathetic nervous system is a bit more active and just absolutely nothing to do with um, you know, your ability to perform on the other hand, actually it could even be a good thing. You know, you need some level of activation to perform. Uh, so yeah, the, you need always, you know, to put the right context around it. So one of the things we focused on is having a low score, but there've been a couple of times where I've used the app and it, uh, it returns a high score and says, you know, you may want to consider limiting your intensity today. So what would be the cause of a high HRV value and why would you want to use that as, as something or why would you use that as a guideline to limit your intensity? That was me today. I, 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 the app spat out a, an abnormally high score, which is, doesn't usually <laughs> happen, but it's always, I actually had that question for Marco as well. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah, indeed. That's a good question. So um, I think uh, the way we see it is that uh, when it comes to physiology, Really, what we should aim for is a stable condition. Uh, what we say, you know, normal is good. And then if you're outside of your normal, yeah. something is going on. So then, uh, you know, lower scores clearly associated to higher stress. Higher scores uh, definitely is a more rare situation. It should not happen as much. And um, it is, I would say it is less clear, physiologically speaking, why that is the case. Uh, it could be sometimes that 
your body is getting overly parasympathetic uh, in an attempt to, you know, recover from a, something very strong that affected you. It can happen in these cases, for example, even after a very strong um, training stressor. And then, you know, still that tells you that is something is happening that is outside of what is the normal condition for you. And that's why we uh, have an advice in that case, which also, uh, let's say, is more uh, cautious and does not interpret the high score as something that, you know, higher is always better. I think that was a bit how it was done in the past and maybe a bit more... Uh, trivial and i think now we got to an understanding that is a bit different uh, around the concept of you know normal values and things being within normal being a good thing and otherwise uh, you need to watch what is going on i think that's a really good point because it's very easy for you know the folks that gravitate to endurance sports to to assume that more is always better so it's a, it's a good reminder that that sometimes more is bad that you want that that stable is good yeah, exactly. So the the big analogy or the big picture I'm getting here, the way I'm kind of forming it in my mind is uh, it's almost like looking at the temperature gauge on a car where you want it to be kind of in the middle. And, you know, if you're towing a trailer up the hill, if you're working too hard on your training, your temperature is going to go up, which means, you know, your engine could blow up. And likewise, on a cold day where the temperature doesn't reach the right um, the right range, you want to be careful with that as well. So it's it's really the long-term trends, not the the quick accelerations that you see on the temperature gauge. Yeah, no, that's a great analogy. So then let's, uh, Marco, I'd like to talk about trends. So we, we've talked a little bit about the acute, the daily results that you get from the, uh, the program or the app. Um, but what about trends? Uh, yeah, what sort of information can you tease out from trends and how can you use that information to guide your training? Okay, so let's talk about the two most important ones. Uh, one is just your baseline HRV, so seven days moving average, and then um, maybe the coefficient of variation, which is another important parameter. So the easiest one to understand is certainly the baseline. So our things are trending recently. Um, I think here, uh, you know, we measure HRV because it uh, shows us how we respond to stress. And obviously training is a big stressor, but then we need to understand also that when you have increased training, you do not necessarily expect your HRV to go down. On the other hand, that's uh, exactly the opposite of what you want to see uh, if you are responding well to that training block, even of increased training load or intensity. Um, so, you know, stable baseline uh, or increasing baseline normally is a good sign. It means we are responding well uh, to training or, you know, anything else that is happening. Uh, on the other hand, if it goes down, so if you are a decreasing HRV, it means that, you know, stress is piling up and we might need to schedule a day or two uh, of reduced load to get things back to normal because, again, you don't really want to get in that condition of uh, being chronically stressed, which uh, can trigger all sorts of issues. So that's uh, that's probably the first parameter to look at, which is uh, fairly simple. So just a quick question. So a stable baseline is telling us that, that our body is is able to absorb that training stress and bounce back to normal, ready to go again. Is that about right? Yeah, correct. Okay. And then if we move to the coefficient of variation, so this is um, another parameter that we analyzed uh, once we have some data. Uh, here, basically, uh, the parameter tells us about something about how much day-to-day -day variability there is. So, you know, when you have a baseline uh, with a certain score, it means that, you know, that's your average for a week. And obviously, you can get to that average by having the same value every day, or you can get there with values that are jumping high and low every day. So this difference between, you know, having values that are fairly the same or values that are very different uh, is what we call coefficient of variation. And there's another important parameter, um, especially when combined to the baseline. Okay. So in general, we had uh, really a lot of studies on this showing that you are responding better to a stressor if there are less fluctuations. Huh. So if you, know, you start a new training block and then your values are all over the place, uh, it means that you know, your system is struggling to, to basically adapt to that stimulus. Uh, and if you have, you know, lower variability, so things are still more or less around your baseline, 
that means you're you're coping better with the stimulus. So I think this has been shown um, in team sports, in endurance athletes, a bit across the board because it's one of the uh, simplest parameters to capture and always uh, linked to response to training and also performance. I think especially. Uh, you know, in team sports, when they would start a new season, so you have like the preseason where everybody gets there and, you know, after the holidays, and they would always have a very high coefficient of variation as soon as they start, right. especially the ones that are the struggle more, you know, while the ones that uh, maybe are in a better shape uh, and progress faster would have a lower value. I think this we've seen that um, in, in a few studies, uh, also in, in endurance athletes. So I'd say it's a good parameter to look at. Uh, with just one extra note, which is, you know, we said a low coefficient of variation is good, but that is not the case if your baseline HRV is also very low. So if your HRV is going very low and then you have also low variability, it probably means that you're just really struggling to respond to anything. Hmm. Um, and, you know, you're just reaching, um, you're probably reaching a state of chronic stress. And that's not a you know, situation in which you would interpret it positively. Right, right. Um, and that's, uh, that's a really good explanation, because that was one of my questions about what is what is that coefficient of variation means. And just to put it another way, you could have your moving average be the same if the coefficient of variation is very low, you know, you keep getting very similar scores, or the the moving average could be the same with a very high variation, right? So that's why I guess that's why that's important. Yeah, exactly. So you know to look at both and then uh, uh, derive your conclusions that way. And as a, as you were discussing it, um, I was thinking, well, maybe it's not the training that's that's affecting your stress. Maybe you had a you know a fight with your partner, or you had a difficult work meeting, and that's what's creating that variation, or that's what's uh, maybe depressing the uh, the average. But then you know, I thought back to the the beginning of this conversation, uh, what you said, Marco, about the fact that it doesn't really matter where the source of stress comes from. It's still stress is stress, and uh, the way that I talk to folks that I work with. Some of these sources of stress are controllable, specifically your training. You can decide to train hard or train less hard or not train at all. But other factors are not always controllable, you know, family situations, work stuff. So you you think about what levers do you have to operate in order to control your daily stress? And for a lot of us, I mean, there's probably more than we imagine, but the easiest one to manipulate, in my opinion, is your training load, right? You can very easily choose to do more, do less or not do at all. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, especially maybe going back to the travel example, you know, you're out at some event and the schedule is really busy and you're stressed and, you know, going out and doing intervals there probably is not, you know, the great idea if your data already shows that. Um, So, yeah, training is always, you know, the parameter that you can easily adjust if you have, I would say, the mental flexibility, sometimes it's uh, oh, it yes. seems like it's uh, impossible to do that. But yeah, you do have uh, the possibility to do it. Yeah, at Trading Peaks tells you to do VO2 max intervals. You better you better friggin' do VO2 max intervals. <laughs> I think you know sometimes people then are afraid that they are missing that session and it's gonna compromise everything. But what we learned from the studies I was mentioning before is actually that. If, you know, at the end of the study, this group that was postponing the hard sessions, they actually had less cumulative, you know, high intensity training and they performed better, you know. So it tells us something about, again, uh, timing matters and you cannot just stress the body if you're not ready to take that stimulus because then you will not have the positive adaptation either. So let me ask you a follow-up question about the studies and this approach, Marco. Could you then use your, you know, your coefficient variation and your seven-day trend to then keep working, keep building, increasing volume or intensity until you start to see a decline and then take your, your, rest, uh, your rest period? Uh, or, or were the studies and, or your experience support a more uh, structured three-to-one traditional uh, work recovery periodization scheme? Yeah, I would certainly say the more structured way. Um, this is also, it's actually a really good question because it comes up often. You know, sometimes people start using these tools and um, it, it, you know, you could start thinking, okay, then I just go hard until I'm basically 
uh, below normal or my shari is suppressed and then I take rest and I let it guide completely what I do. And I think that's definitely a recipe for disaster. So you should not just stress huh, okay. your body like that. Yeah. So <laughs> you should always start, you know, start smart with, you know, periodization and a good training plan. Uh, scheduled recovery and then if your HIV is great on a recovery day you know even better it means that you're just responding well so still take that day off uh, or that easy day and then continue like that and the way you then implement the changes is really when you're in a situation in which your HIV is suppressed so there is more stress then you can uh, scale down the intensity of the session or you know switch it with what you had planned tomorrow, things like that, but always starting with a training plan, I would say. So it's not an excuse to do more. It's uh, if anything, it's, it's, uh, it's a signal to put on the brakes. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, the way I use it is always, uh, you know, to keep yourself honest and do a bit less. I think people do not really have trouble doing more, <laughs> especially, you know, triathletes and endurance athletes are really motivated individuals. So it's really more about trying to get them uh, to listen a bit more to what their body is telling them. I guess um, for me, the big thing is if you push too hard, uh, you're risking injury or you're risking sickness, which could put you out for weeks uh, instead of just missing one workout. So that would really be the one that impacts you rather than that one missed interval se session that uh, the training peak tells you to do. Yeah, exactly. It's really about the long-term plan. So one other question I have um, before we move on to maybe some of the, the other specifics, but um, we've talked a lot about measuring HRV at rest. Is there a meaning to heart rate variability when you're exercising? Like if your heart rate is 85% of your maximum or 90% of your maximum, will you have a measurable variability at that point? Or is your heart just kind of banging out as much blood as it can? Yeah, exactly. I would say that, you know, what we can measure is really parasympathetic activity and there wouldn't be... Uh, basically anything going on uh, when your heart, heart rate is that high. Um, and I think also we need to look really at the, you know, at the big picture and at practical tools. And I think during exercise, from this point of view, heart rate is already extremely good, uh, you know, to measure internal load and what's going on. Um, and yeah, so that that's uh, the only parameter I would look at uh, in terms of, you know, physiological data that can be practically acquired. Uh, while you're doing a session, while HRV is really more sensitive than heart rate, only when we look uh, at resting measurements. We, we actually did some uh, research on this to try to determine what's, uh, what's the difference. You know, HRV is a bit more complex to measure. So, of course, you need to have a valid reason to use that instead of just resting heart rate. Uh, that is more or less what was done before, uh, a few years back. So what we could see in response to various stressors, uh, training, for example, of different intensities, is that you have these day-to-day changes in HRV, which are um, in the order of 5-10% reductions that you see consistently across um, many individuals. While in our trade, we would see changes that are maybe between 0 and 1%. Hmm. Uh, so, you know much smaller differences, so heart rate less sensitive in that context, which is why uh, with HRV you can get a bit of a better picture of what's going on. Uh, but again, at rest uh, and for these uh, resting measurements of uh, baseline physiology, while doing exercise, I would really focus mostly on, uh, on heart rate. Building on Andrew's question, um, I know there are a few uh, devices and companies, uh, specifically Garmin using First Beats, I believe, uh, technology, uh, giving you what they call a body battery, which I imagine is just a, a, a live HRV all day long measurement using their, um, their wrist uh, optical heart rate sensors. What is your take on the First of all, on the accuracy of this approach, but also on the utility of the information that it provides. And again, I'm only guessing that what they're measuring is heart rate variability when they tell you your your stress and your body battery. Have you looked into it? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. So I think they're also measuring um, HRV that way. Um, I think so. There are two aspects here. One is, uh, I would say, unrelated to first bit, uh, which is just uh, using optical measurements for uh 
for HRV, okay. uh, which I think is uh, really challenging during uh, the day or during any activity, just because, you know, these measurements are really affected by motion artifacts. So, you know, you move your wrist and the data is, totally. is quite poor. I think we can see that also when we do, when even just looking at heart rate, right? Heart rate is much easier to measure and you can filter, I believe, the signal and still, if we just use wrist-based devices, uh, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. HRV is more complex, even more prone to artifacts. Um, as a matter of fact, a few devices now have a dual mode, uh, like I think this Kosh um, Rhythm 24 armband. So it's used for uh, heart rate during exercise, but then you can use it for your measurements, but you have to tell the sensor, you know, now you are in HRV mode. So we have this different modality and you can only measure at rest because as soon as you move, the data is full of artifacts. So I think that's a challenge in general for anything that is uh, optical measurements while you're not uh, steady and, you know, just sitting still. Or during the night, you know, uh, during the night also is a good moment because you're not moving. So that's one. But let's say that you can capture it correctly uh, using, you know, an ECG or a very good optical measurement. Um, then uh, what they would do, I think, is still indeed to uh, use um, some sort of deviation from your baseline, but, you know, at a, let's say, higher resolution scale. So instead of, you know, doing day-to-day, uh, also during the day, you could do that and see, you know, how much time you are in a more stressful situation. Um, I would say... In principle, uh, why not? Um, at the same time, uh, I think, you know, when you measure in the morning or in the night, you're really measuring basically the output of the system. So everything that happened resulted in you being in that state right now. So I think that is sufficient uh, for, um, you know, making adjustments and understanding what is the situation. Like the data in between, it does not necessarily tell you something extra. Um, but that's just my view, and I do not know all the details of the algorithms that they are using. And in general, I think Firstbrit is uh, certainly a great company doing you know, a lot of research and publishing the algorithms they develop and validating them. So I'm sure there is good science behind, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if it is disclosed, so I do not know the details um, specifically of this algorithm. But yes, I think it does use HRV during the day to try to determine, you know, your still your parasympathetic activity with respect to your normal and, and determine if you had, you know, a more stressful day or a less stressful day so that you can uh, potentially make adjustments um, based on that battery, body, um, body battery level. Right. Yeah, I guess the element of uh, heart rate variability monitoring that I've always had a little bit of struggle with is the fact that it is, you know, a one point in time measurement. And even if you are really good at measuring, you know, as soon as you get up, and I I try to do that, I do it before I even I've got my phone close to me, and I do it before I even, uh, you know, get out of bed. But sometimes if I'm if I wake up, because one of my kids is crying, and I'm like, I got to take 60 seconds, at least plus some button presses, you know, while while he cries, and you know, my partner gets mad at me. um, (laughs) Because it's my turn to get up with him. Or or like, (laughs) this is kind of a silly example. But sometimes, I, you know, I wake up and I need to go, you know, I need to go for a pee. I got to get up. And I'm like, well, do I want to do that first or do I want to take my measurement first? So then I can't um, help but imagine that adds a kind of a wrinkle or a little bit of extra stress that then am I tainting the, uh, the uh, you know, the analysis and the sample? That's where I have a problem with a one point in time measurement versus kind of a, you know, a long a stretch of, uh, of data over the course of the day. Or as you mentioned, with something like an aura ring. Uh, overnight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think in general, it's less of a problem. I hope you can tell me I'm wrong, because then, <laughs> then then I'd feel I'd, I'd sleep better at night and measure more comfortably in the I morning. I have some good news. Uh, we we actually did a study where um, so athletes would measure first thing in the morning and then would measure uh, two years uh, sorry two hours uh, later um, at the facilities. So this was done because you know in uh, endurance athletes normal. Normally, it's no problem, right? They, you know, you you have as a coach, even you have some athletes that might use this, and some athletes that might not. But you know, in a team, they tend either to do everything, everyone the same in terms of the technology used, or you know, either everybody measures or nobody measures. 
So something that could facilitate the process there is to measure at the facilities when everybody is there. Sure. So they did this study and they found high correlation between the two measurements, oh, okay. uh, which means that, you know, even afterwards, it was okay. At the same time, uh, if possible, I always advise, you know, to do it first thing in the morning, especially to avoid physical activity and coffee and all of that before. It doesn't mean that you have to do it in bed. Uh, any other routine works as many people, um, for example, go to the toilet and then sit there and measure uh, or to another room and, you know, lay down on a couch and measure. Um, that's also perfectly fine as long as you do that every day. So then, you know, this should be the same body position. It should be more or less the same um, routine and that works. Uh, so, yeah, I would say, you know, there is always, um, there, there are always stressors, but, you know, as long as you don't read your email or, you know, your Facebook <laughs> and get mad or, you know, there's always like the most annoying comments everywhere. So just don't do that <laughs> because that will have a strong impact. You, you can probably feel it without measuring it, like your heart rate raises and all of yeah. that. So, yeah. you know, skip that. But for the rest, I think some flexibility is totally fine. Okay. So that one thing you pointed out was really important is that body position matters. And that's something that I want our listeners to take away too. If you're going to start to measure is that, you know, if you, if you do it standing, you do it standing all the time or sitting all the time or laying down all the time. That is important. Yeah, exactly. Uh, normally I suggest just to lay down because it's easier. Um, but mm -hmm. sitting or standing is fine. Uh, the only issue with standing sometimes is that, you know, people have zero patience, especially in the morning. <laughs> so, you know, you stand yeah. up and then you measure and, you know, your body is readjusting because just stood up uh, so that's you know you should at least wait like 30 45 seconds oh, okay. after you stand up and then measure well, that's the only note but for the rest is okay I really like the in-bed measurement because uh, my alarm <laughs> will go off and then I can do the measurement and kind of half fall asleep while I'm taking that in <laughs> Agreed. But uh, it, it does keep a very consistent baseline in terms of physical position and prior activity level, provided you weren't tossing and turning overnight. But uh, it does, I find it keeps things very accurate and very repeatable. And it's it's got that definite time as well where your alarm goes off and if you get in the habit every day of thinking, okay, I have to do this measurement now, it keeps it very consistent. Yeah, it's a, it's a wake-up aid for you, huh, Ander? Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the other questions that we kind of touched on a little bit, but I wanted to dig deeper into is actually the technology to measure this. Because when I first heard about your your system, I thought you needed a separate sensor. Um, it's a little more obvious now that it's become more common with optical heart rate sensors, but um, I was initially under the impression that it wasn't just the app, but you needed to purchase a, a separate piece of hardware as well. Um, but having been using it for more than a year now, obviously that's not the case, but I think it might help some of our listeners as well uh, if they understand how the measurements are actually taken. Yeah, exactly. So um, basically a few years back, I developed this technology to measure HRV just using the phone camera. Uh, the way that works is uh, actually pretty simple. You know, it's like this um, other devices you'll have in hospital for pulse and then, um, or, or for blood oxygen. And then, you know, you can do something similar in terms of heart rate and heart rate variability using the phone because by illuminating the skin with the flesh, then basically uh, you can take a video of uh, your finger and you will see, well, you cannot see it visually, but, you know, processing the data, you can see changes in skin color due to the blood flowing, which is, of course, happening every time that the heart beats. And that's how you reconstruct the signal. So there is something that we also validated with respect to um, uh, full ECG and chest straps, showing that the measurements are equivalent. So you can really use um, whichever works better for you. Um, Normally, people use the camera just because it's easier. Uh, and not many people like to wear the chest strap first thing in the morning. Uh, but I've also heard from others that maybe they feel um, more comfortable using the strap and because maybe they don't want to, you know, stay with the hand on the phone and uh, make sure that everything is steady and so on. But normally, with a few measurements, it's, uh, you know, it gets pretty simple. Um, and yeah, that's the measurement we recommend using. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you can leverage technology that everyone literally has at their fingertips most of the time. And you can just through technology, you can, uh, you can facilitate these measurements very easily. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's very creative the way you've solved that problem.
Thank you, indeed. I think it's uh, one of the nicer things, you know, in the app is just how easy it is because really we are not doing anything new. Basically, here, uh, HRV has been out for, uh, you know, something that's been investigated for like 50 years. Uh, and, you know, before you had to go to the lab and use an ECG and then measure um, after, you know, lying down for 30 minutes and then measure five minutes and get that data point. And then you would do maybe a five month study. And then you would measure once again at the end, right? Which, uh, according to everything we said until now, makes no sense because there is so <laughs> much variability on a day-to-day basis. But you know, the the fact that now it's much easier is making um, the whole process uh, much more easier for people. Also, in the context of you know, finally making good use of the data um, and making changes and adjustments, and uh, and also the research actually. Is, uh, is improving because, you know, you finally have data points every day. So, you know, we had some studies in the past with conflicting results just because of the, how, you know, the data was collected. And I think now we are getting a more consistent picture also because of how easy it is to, to integrate these in a study. One of the things that I find quite interesting from just a general study standpoint is you've now got access to this massive pool of data with athletes who are providing daily insight into their own activities. And this, like the the idea of big data, it's something that Google's latched onto, but so many other companies have understood the utility of this. And once you have access to it, it kind of, it makes some of these smaller studies irrelevant anymore because now you've got a data set that is 10 or 100 times larger than any previous study ever had access to. So understanding these trends and how how it can affect the larger population is becoming easier than ever. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, there is a lot that, that can be done, um, you know, at different levels, even at the, at the individual level, just the ability to have data collected longitudinally, uh, you know, there was a study published this year um, on the effect of uh, different phases of the menstrual cycle uh, on HRV. And most studies before had shown a reduction, but some an increase. And it was always, you know, again, like one measurement and then one measurement like weeks after, right? And obviously that's difficult to capture a trend there because you could have, you know, a low value on a high week and things like that. And now measuring daily, you could finally see that indeed there is a decrease. Uh, so I think from one point of view, we have that. And then we have also the ability, as you say, to pull data from more individuals and, and also use that uh, to capture different trends. Um, in the past, we used this, for example, uh, to develop features that we could then provide to users, which would otherwise not be possible, for example, um, we we did this study where we looked at predictors of performance in running. Um, so we pulled all the workouts data and the resting physiology and created all sorts of features uh, representative of these changes with respect to performance. And then we built a model which could predict um, performance over 10K, which we then turned into what you could call a lactate threshold uh, sort of intensity for a runner. And then put that in the app. So I think it, you know, it provides uh, new ways also to develop features, uh, not only avoiding um, the, you know, collecting data in the lab, but also collecting data that you would just not possibly be able to collect in the lab. And that is actually is more representative of your life because that is where it is collected. Um, so yeah, definitely more room there. Um, just a note that, of course, this happens only for the users that allowed us to look at their data uh, when signing up with the app, because, of course, there are restrictions. Also, there's some collecting the data does not mean you can use it for research anymore uh, unless you're authorized. Cool. So we've been talking a little bit uh, about different elements of the app that uh, Marco designed and founded. So now is a good time to actually tell our users, those of you who are not familiar with HRV for training, which, uh, of course, we will link to in our show notes. Um, so this is Marco's app for measuring and monitoring HRV. And uh, I'm going to ask him to to talk about it. But before I do, um, uh, just for full disclosure, I will say that uh, for 2020, I've been fortunate enough to be uh, chosen to be uh, a coach ambassador for HRV for training. Now, that doesn't mean that anything I, I tell you 
dear listeners, is uh, is not true. But uh, just for the sake of uh, having that full disclosure out there, I will say that uh, I uh, I've been working with Marco the last uh, couple months on uh, on using his uh, his pro app, which I'll I'll talk about once he's done talking about it. My own impressions. Um, so that's the uh, the nature of our relationship as well. And just if I can jump in quickly, I'd like to say from my standpoint, um, I have no affiliation, so I paid for the app upfront, um, and I've been using it for the last year and a half. So it's, uh, I guess, it puts us kind of in a different side of the court, but it's it's very impartial observations that I have. Yeah, and I've been using the the athlete app for about three years now. I was a pretty early adopter, and so I did pay for the app when it first came out. So what I'm uh, getting from HRV for training is uh, free access to the pro platform, which is separate from the app, uh, separate related to uh, for the year. So that's uh, that's what I'm getting. So let's start with the app, which is where I think probably, you know, the vast majority of your users interface with HRV for training, I'm sure. Yeah, certainly. So the app basically tries to cover most of what we discussed, uh, which means uh, allows a user to take a measurement using either the camera or an external sensor. So to quantify your HRV uh, first thing in the morning. Then we start, you know, building a baseline, building what we call normal values, which means uh, basically a statistical representation of the last two months of your data, which is helpful in determining when your daily scores and baseline are trending outside of that, uh, which is typically when the app then uh, triggers a sort of a warning or an advice to reduce intensity or, or take it easy because there is significant stress present. I, I would say that's how it starts. Uh, and then it provides a series of uh, higher level analytics on trends, um, we discussed the baseline, the coefficient of variation. So we look at those and, and report those and also combine them with um, training load information so that the app actually uh, does the math for you. So the trends we discussed, uh, increasing or decreasing baseline and coefficient of variation are already um, combined in the app to determine how you are coping with um training in a certain period, and that is also reported back to you uh, so that you can also see longer-term trends and not only the day-to-day advice based on the daily score. And then we have a series of uh, analytics based on um, training data, the lactate threshold I was just talking about, um, VO2max, training load, um, readiness, injury risk, I would say all sorts of things that uh, you can get if you link the app to Training Peaks or Strava. Um, training polarization as well. Um, I would say that's that's mostly it. Uh, so daily score, easy way to measure HRV and uh, series of analytics on top of that. Mostly for endurance athletes, um, but I would say all the HRV part is really unrelated even to training because it's just how you're responding to stress, wherever that comes from. Yeah, I'll echo what what Marco said. It's not this app is much more than just a means of measuring HRV. There is quite a quite a lot of uh, analysis and interpretation. And uh, you know, if uh, for those of you guys who have been following along with this conversation, even given that analysis and interpretation, there still has to be a lot of context um, derived from the users, or the athletes' day to day life. But it is a very comprehensive uh, set of um, tools and distilled information that you get at the end of uh, at the end of a measurement, or at least once you have uh, a certain baseline established. This is a good place then to talk quickly about the uh, the pro platform, uh, Marco, that you guys have. So this is um, this platform is designed to be used primarily for coaches or team leaders. So uh, this is the platform that I've been using for the last couple of months as a as an ambassador. So I will share my uh, impressions of it. But uh, Marco, if you can spend a couple of minutes just talking about what it is, who it's for, and how it's different from the app itself. Yeah, sure. So um, I would say that indeed, speaking to you know. To your last point, it's um, what we build now with the pro platform is really um, trying to help the individual uh, have a comprehensive picture of what is going on. So it's really mostly about visualizations 
where you can clearly see how your physiology is trending, when it's within or outside your normal values, and then on the same page, look at your training load, how that is changing, as well as your subjective metrics. Um, I think it's really important to try to look at the three of them at the same time. So in terms of the subjective metrics, we have all sorts of things that you can annotate after the measurement, and you see that um, which can help, you know, contextualizing the data and then, you know, color coding the data by the daily advice, by sick days, by traveling days, all sorts of things that you can do in the platform, mainly mm, to gather, you know, contextual information uh, and look at the big pictures so that you can make the right adjustments uh, to keep things in check, which means normally within normal. Uh, the platform is for, uh, well, we say advanced users or coaches, meaning that you can manage other athletes, but you can also just use it for yourself um, if you're looking for something where you can dig a bit deeper, uh, you know, in your data and, um, and in the various analytics that we have. And I said that's, uh, you know, a bit of an overview. Then again, there's uh, plenty of additional features there for endurance athletes uh, in terms of analyzing aspects like cardiac decoupling or aerobic efficiency or, you know, how your intervals are changing over time and those sort of things that can help you understand progress. I would say that's really uh, what we try to do to help you understand how you're progressing without having to do specific tests or, uh, you know, follow lab protocols or things like that. It's all automatically derived always from your workouts data. Uh, so that you can get those insights just by following your training periodization. Hmm. That's really cool. I haven't actually explored the uh, the decoupling and the efficiency, the aerobic efficiency factor metrics, but uh, that's now on my to do list. Uh, but from my own experience, um, the biggest difference is, as Marco pointed out, the visualization and. Uh, he and I were talking offline before we hit record about how one of the things that that HRV for Training Pro does that no one else does, and for the life of me, I don't understand why. No other platform that analyzes training, like you know the Training Peaks or the well the Stravas for those of us who use that for analyzing, or Today's Plan, or or any of the ones that that uh, people use uh, for analyzing and tracking training. What HRV for for Training Pro does is it puts essentially like error bars or an average on your daily metrics so that you can see where you're, I believe it's a seven-day moving average that that's applied to. Is that right? Yeah, you see the seven-day moving average and then in larger the band, which is the 60 days normal values. 60 days normal values, right. So then you get a sense of, you know, what are you getting closer to one of the boundaries? And then you can also see that you can also see the change in the 60 day uh, normal value or 60 day average, which is uh, really interesting to see, you know, in a macro sense, if you look at, uh, you know, when you have a full year's worth of data, for instance, not that you absolutely need to, which way you're training and at what points in the season, uh, how your different phases of your season, be it training or racing, affected your heart rate variability. It's really, really interesting visualization, um, and it's not something anyone else does. So I think that's you know a feather in your cap for sure. Um, and then the other analysis that that Marco mentioned, which I find super useful, is that looking for correlations. You know, uh, we spent some time at the beginning of this conversation talking about how individual. Uh, our response to stresses, and I certainly uh, certainly believe that to be the case. So, for different people, different people will have different responses to stresses. And using this platform, you can plot HRV on one graph, and then look at you know sleep quality, which is a huge one for me. Always gets me or travel or alcohol intake or any of those other uh, subjective metrics that the app also captures. And then you can start making conclusions and saying, well, when I drink more than two beers, then my HRV is is seriously depressed, which is also the case for me because I'm a, I'm a teetotaler most of the time. I don't drink very much. So, you know, you can, you can then start to think about what do you need to prioritize in order to be able to perform the way you want to perform on any given day. If you have a big workout the next day, maybe, maybe stick to club soda. <laughs> on a Friday night out with your friends, uh, if that's a, if that's something that affects you significantly, for some people it may be less of a factor. So, understanding the underlying causes for changes in the global stress state of your body is something that this platform does, I think, incredibly well. And 
in my legitimately unbiased experience, you know, I've I've uh, I've stated my conflicts potentially, um, but legitimately unbiased experience, I don't see anybody else doing it the same way that you guys do. So, kudos for that. All right, thanks. I'm glad to hear that you found it useful. I definitely really enjoyed this conversation. It was very interesting to talk about some of the the possibilities using HRV uh, and just to explore the technology a little bit. So, we've talked about your app, Marco. Um, is there anything else that you want to mention specifically, uh, whether it's social media or anything like that? Um, well, people can find me on my website, uh, which is marcoaltini.com or uh, hrvfortraining.com. Um, yeah, I would say both of them have gone and I'm always happy to get back to you if you have any questions uh, related to this work or I would like to know more. You've also recently published or are in the process of publishing some guides that we'll link to that I've uh, admittedly have yet to read, but um, they're also on my list of things to do. But I'll, I'll link to those because I imagine that's a really good place to start for people who want to know more. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, that's uh, that's really what we are trying to do now. I think it's quite clear that the, the technology is there, but um, I think the educational material is really important because, you know, we need to help people understand what it is and how you can use it effectively. And uh, so that's uh, where most of our efforts are right now. So thank you for me as well for coming on and uh, and spending this time to explain the this technology, which I do really think sheds quite a bit more light on our state of training and is a, a useful add to any data-driven athlete or coach out there. Thank you. Andrew, anything to plug on your side? Nope, nothing, nothing exciting in my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's some stuff in the works. Let's just put it there. <laughs> Okay. Well, with that, everyone, thanks again for listening. Um, as always, I'm going to ask you to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, also, if you have any questions, please do submit them to us. 